I was able to sit down with Valuetainment's very own Patrick Bidavid for an extended hour-long interview. In the conversation, we covered a variety of topics, but I wanted to hone in on this part of the conversation as we discuss his contentious conversation with CoffeeZilla calling him out about running an MLM, his thoughts on Andrew Tate's similar business model, and how his faith drives a lot of what he does. Bruce Lawn. I think confrontation is healthy. I think... As you always say, the audience wins. When there's two people mm-hmm. that disagree, mm-hmm. the audience wins. My audience is not going to let me uh, have this conversation with you without addressing this. One of the things that I think took my respect for you to a whole nother level is when you were willing to appear with CoffeeZilla and hash out all of the MLM PHP yeah. allegations. I thought that was incredible. I thought you did a phenomenal job. I started in prepaid legal. Okay. 18 years old, the day I turned 18, my buddy signed me up, learned all my business chops there, did it for about six months, transitioned over, said I could, I could do this for myself, use the same skills mm-hmm. to build my music mm-hmm. business, and then YouTube, the rest is history. So what was your impression of that, uh, the, the whole CoffeeZilla, the, the, you know, and, and the MLM? Because I have a connection to the next question about that. But what is your impression of that when, in hindsight? I thought you did a great job. Uh, in, in him, the, the main host, or the, the interaction with uh, them and I? The, the, just the whole thing, the interaction okay. with you and him, so you willing all, to press into conflict. If I'm running a media company, mm-hmm. that's the kind of a guy I would hire. Okay. I like him a lot. Smart I think guy. he's solid. Yeah. I think if he has the right person that backs him up, and lets him play ball, you know, and he decides to go do the same. Because it's, it's like an investigative journalism. Yep. He's yep. got a big upset. I think someone's got to pick him up. And yep. uh, uh, He's my kind of guy. I like him a lot. Two, uh, in regards to uh, network marketing, direct marketing, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, you know, one out of three American has been part of one. Something. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So if you think about Avon, you think about Mary Kay, you think about Amway, you think about... Uh, uh, ACN, you think about Primerica, World Financial Group, New York Life, you yeah. think about Keller Williams, you think about all of those yeah. are all high-volume recruiting companies, mm-hmm. right? And in a high-volume recruiting company, the, the problem with a high-volume recruit, I used to be in a low-recruiting-volume company, which is like a Morgan Stanley Dean Witter. A low-volume recruiting company, the percentage of making it is higher mm-hmm. because the, uh, the qualification to get in for a job is so also high. higher. Yeah. So you need a yeah. degree, you need right. this. So I wouldn't get qualified. I got lucky to get a job at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter because the boss, Dave Kirby, liked the fact that I was in the military and I was charming, charismatic. So he's going to give me a, uh, a job to work with them. So now let's look at the pros and cons of the whole recruiting model. So here's the one thing I've always had a problem with. Think about why people have a negative connotation to uh, recruit and model businesses. Okay, so number one, if you look at any of them, like the one you were a part of, prepaid legal, which got started, legal, I think, in, biggest legal shield. Uh, now. Uh, it's legal shield. It was started in uh, to, 1972 by a very strong, devout uh, Christian man mm-hmm. who ended up selling a company, I think, for five hundred million dollars, five fifty to be exact. You mm-hmm. can look up the number and what the number is. He got a big number through legal shield when it was uh, when it was bought. Life changing company, mm-hmm. right? Okay. But you don't need a background check. Right. Anybody can sell it. So it attracts people that are coming from backgrounds that you don't want to have. Yeah. And the next thing you know, a criminal gets in with a, who's been in jail five times. And then they're willing to figure out right a way to manipulate, to make money and forgery and all that stuff. And that makes the company look mm. bad. So I went through this. And then I said, I can't deal with that. So I went specifically with insurance 
because what insurance and securities made it more peaceful for me, because the first six I was a part of mm -hmm. was not. Mm -hmm. But what insurance made it clear for me after Morgan Stanley Dean Witter is you can't get your insurance license unless the Department of Insurance has a background check on you. You cannot submit a, you know, a, uh, uh, your U4 to get your Series yeah. 6, all that stuff. So right. that gave me confidence to know that not only am I doing the filtering based on your character, but the industry as well. There's, there's checks and balances. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that there was some validity to his critique in terms of the appearance of selling the opportunity versus selling the product? What I loved about Legal Shield was that I was actually selling a product yeah. I believed in, yeah. but then there was another layer of let me get people to sell yeah. underneath me. And do you think there's some concerns so, there? So it's a company back in the days called Equinox where you would buy water filters from them. I think it was started by a guy named Bill Gould. And the criticism was, you had way too many water filters in your garage, and why did you buy five of them at 25000 whatever the dollar amount was? And sometimes when Bill Ackman went after Herbalife and he got approached by somebody that stood up against Bill Ackman, and he's like, oh, wait a minute, I can't fight against this guy. Carl Icahn called him out. If you've never seen this, it's a must-see TV. When Carl Icahn and Bill Ackman are fighting over Bill Ackman is saying Herbalife is a pyramid scheme, and Carl Icahn says, you're a pyramid scheme. You're the one that's playing a manipulative game to make money and you're screwing people over and I think Herbalife is a good investment. But you know, was there a time where people were buying way too many products at Herbalife, $5,000 that you don't need the supplements to hit a bonus goal? Of course. In insurance, keep this in mind with insurance, mm -hmm. you're selling a product that the person needs to be underwritten for. So let's just say you last year made $120,000. I'm just making up a number. Mm -hmm. I can't sell you a $5 million insurance policy. Hmm. Why is that? Because the underwriter is going to come back and say, why does he need a $5 million insurance policy? He only makes 120. Does he have a wife? He does. How many kids does he have? Two. So can you tell me why he needs $5 million? And I don't have an argument. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. But if I say he makes 120, I think he needs $1.2 million. No problem. We can do 10 years the amount of income because mm -hmm. the wife doesn't have a job sure. and he can replace her income. Okay. So in insurance, you can't really overload on products in the garage. Got it's it. just not going to work out. Got and by the way, if I sell you $5,000 worth of supplements, okay. there is no chargeback. Hmm. I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know chargeback because right. you want to prepay legal. Right. If I sell you $5,000 worth of supplements, right. if you don't use it, I don't get chargeback $5,000 because you never use it. Right. But if I do buy prepay legal and you get advanced and I cancel it next month, you got a chargeback. Okay. If I buy a life insurance policy and I cancel it a month later, you got a $2,000 check, you're getting charged back $2,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is no gaming of insurance. This is why gamers leave insurance. Mm -hmm. Gamers typically will come into the insurance business, try to game it. Yeah. Three months later, they're like, no, this is too complicated. Yeah. I'm leaving it. And you guys do term and life, right? We do term, we do perm, we do annuities. Do yeah. And uh, that's what we do for I, I mean, to me, and again, this is all in hindsight. I like learning the practical skills to basically take them, transition them over to my own business. In your conversation, you made it a point that you know most people are like most people. Most people don't necessarily have the grind of work I think you mm -hmm. talked about. Mm -hmm. You having to tell one of your friends, hey, you got to do something else with that. So I, I appreciated that and I, th I thought that was a really good thing. And I, I honestly didn't understand him coming after you. So I appreciate you talking about that. So let me, let me bring it full circle. So now there's a new personality blowing up everywhere. I think he's gained two million followers on Instagram in the last couple of weeks. Um, and the accusation, which I think this is different, but I just want to get your take on him. The accusation is Andrew Tate is using an MLM style format yeah. to grow his brand. I'm not sure if you're familiar with how I it am. works. You sign up for us yeah. as university, and I guess a certain amount of people yeah. repurpose his content, make YouTube pages around his content, TikTok pages around his content, and get an affiliate for everyone who signs up yeah. to us as university underneath them. What do you, first, what's your impression of, of the brand and what he's doing, and what do you think about that as a business model 
to grow online So platform. let's talk about it. This is the first time I'm ever commenting on Andrew Tate. So okay. you're actually getting my first commentary on Andrew Tate. I think he is an absolute genius. I think he's a beast. I think he's figured out a way how to get under people's button skins mm -hmm. and he's, he's, he's poking it even more so. The more he goes like this, the more you react, he pushes even more. Yeah, the challenge yeah. most of the time is when you go like this, you react, oh, I'm so sorry. Right. He's just he like, oh, you don't push like it. it. Let yeah. me keep going. So, so that's, that is an art that only a few people have. Oh, he has, uh, Jake Paul has, uh, Connor has, Trump has, yeah. Elon Musk has. That's not a skill set that a lot of people have and they're comfortable with mm -hmm. because most people are non-confrontational and he's very comfortable being confrontational. Kudos to him. Now, let's talk about, by the way, we both follow each other on Instagram, so I like what he's doing and more power to him to make his money. I salute him. He's got a, a what? I think he's got an online program, like a university that online. he's Yeah, it's, it's a combination of different uh, courses that he's put together over the years. And he's, he's what? The, the, the accusation is that he's getting his followers to repost the stuff all over the place, so it's making him more viral and all that? Yeah. yeah. What are you jealous about? Yeah. Whoever's saying it, why don't you go do it? Yeah. yeah. You, you mean to tell me? Well, especially if people are able to keep the AdSense. If there's all these fan pages yeah. around his content, they post able it. I mean, to keep yeah, the AdSense. But the, but the point is the following. So, so let's, let's actually unpack what people are really saying. So let me get this straight. You're upset that all these Instagram accounts are showing highlights of Conor McGregor knocking people out. You're upset that people are creating hit lists, you knock out videos of Mike Tyson, it's got 58 million views, 42 million views. You, what is the difference between all these highlights of Michael Jordan, highlights of you know, Trump trolling somebody, highlights of you know, what Jake Paul's doing right now going up, highlights of Dana White, highlights of, why are you, what's the difference? Yeah. I think the only thing that upsets people is the following. This is what people get upset about. They get upset at how fast somebody yeah. becomes famous and passes them up. Everyone <laughs> likes you as long as you're smaller yeah. than them until they get ahead of you. Then they're like, yeah, this guy's probably doing something shady. No, he's just whooping your ass and the market is saying, yep. that guy's better than you at market. Yeah. What do you think about that as a business model for growing a social media platform? Is that something you'd be, because I know you guys have a valuetainment membership type of thing. Right. It, it, could you see that working for other guys? Hey. You guys free ran on all my content, take it, chop it, do whatever you want, and you get an affiliate for signing up to our... I think it's a brilliant model. I, we don't do that. But, yeah. but do you I think, think you, What I'm saying is do you think more people will do it after the proof of concept? I, do, I, I don't think people can do it. Okay. That's the point. Like, hey, did you hear about such and such, made so much money as a YouTuber? I'm going to go do it. Go do it. You don't think it would work? No, it's not that it would work. Uh, how many guys have a million subscriber YouTube channel? Not a lot. How many have 10 million? Not a lot. Yeah. How many have 100 million? Well, did you see what PewDiePie does? I'm going to go do PewDiePie does. Okay, go ahead. Go do it. Mm -hmm. Only one other person been able to do what PewDiePie did, mm -hmm. which is who? You yeah, know, Mr. Uh, Beast. Mr. Beast. Yep. Okay. So, oh, I'm going to do Mr. Beast model. How many people have gotten successful to one-tenth of Mr. Beast model? Maybe five, mm -hmm. maybe 10. Not a lot of guys that are doing it, right? So, hey, this Jake the kid, I don't know what the kid's name was. He made $21 million last year on YouTube as an eight-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. Go let your kid do that mm -hmm. and see if it's going to succeed. It's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's no, not easy. Right. And by the way, you, you, everybody's got a different gift. Like, for example... You know how these uh, uh, Dan Bozerian, how he blew up on social media, everybody was upset. Right. Okay, first of all, Dan Bozerian has been Dan Bozerian for a long time before Dan Bozerian became public. And then the audience who likes the 
younger Hugh Hefner model with the girls and the partying and the boats and the traveling and the guns and all this stuff. Man, I'm fascinated by this guy. Like Gianluca Vacchi blew up all of a sudden. Gianluca is a friend. We've sat down together. He's another guy, Italian businessman, mm -hmm. worth a few hundred million dollars, got beautiful girls, young girls, and he's doing the dancing and all this stuff. People like that. Mm -hmm. But how many other people try to do that? It's, it's not a... It's not an easy model, yeah. and you have to be able to answer and talk the way he talks. 1% of 1% can do what he's doing. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, as other people are watching and they're saying, oh man, let other people repurpose my content in exchange, they get an affiliate, which is weird that they're calling it an MLM because it's an affiliate, which it's is not different, MLM. right? It's yeah. an affiliate, and so that's what I mean by other people, like say, I don't know, uh, uh, Logan Paul wants to start his own membership, he has a bunch of courses available, 50 bucks a month, people who sign up using their affiliate, repurposing his content make uh, whatever, 50% of the first month. That's what I meant by the business model there. Not Obviously, Andrew Tate has something that very few people have, but I mean other creators in this yeah, space. Yeah, but, but, you, but you have to, okay, so what I'm saying is go do that. But if you're not interesting, no one cares. True, true, true This true. guy's a very, very, look, so you go to, you go to a, a church, okay, you're a Christian guy and you're, you're unapologetic. You go to a church, you sit there and you listen to a pastor speak. Okay, I'll never forget one time, I was like, hey, I have, a, I have a guy, you got to come meet him. He knows every single word in the Bible. You tell him any scripture, he'll tell you what it is. So I go meet with this guy. And I said, so what's in Galatians 1.6? Boom. What's in Deuteronomy this? Boom. What's Proverbs this? Boom. What's Psalms this? Boom. Were these verses you had memorized? No. Or you were just... Oh, you I just, have it. You and have I'm, asking it. Him, hey, I'm just <laughs> flipping awesome. through the pages and he has it. So, That's so good. So impressive. Yeah. Here's a problem. He's been preaching for 20 years. Yeah. His church had 100 members. Yep. So let me get this straight. You knew this much this about much the Bible and you good. only got 100 people. So it's more than just knowing how to. There are people that have made way more money than Tate that don't know how to entertain good. and challenge like him. That is a very, very, very special skill set. You brought up faith. Uh, I watched one of your videos about you reaching out to a pastor, mentor, friend of yours. And, uh, and, and you built a relationship with him. And I think it was the guy that married you as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think a lot of folks have heard you talk about faith. I've heard you use a lot of terminology like lukewarm. You just put a video out called um, Don't Be Lukewarm in Business. Uh, how, what role has faith in, in, in being a Christian played into your, uh, into your journey as an entrepreneur? So, so let me tell you, so, it's going to be funny when I tell you this. So I'm at a, I'm at a crossroad in my life, mm -hmm. and I am more like an Andrew Tate. Okay. okay? I'm 22, 23. I'm that guy. And I'm living bodybuilder, the whole bit. Bodybuilder, I'm going to Pimps and Hoes in Vegas. I'm in Vegas every other week. Pimps and Hoes used to be the biggest party they would put. I'd go to all these naked, after hours, all this. This was my world, and I loved chasing women and having them chase me. It was a fun game because it was easy. It was attractive. And then at that point, I had to make a decision what kind of a life I wanted to live and who I admired the most and what direction gave me the least amount of distractions to be able to scale at the levels that I want to scale in my life. Okay, so I said, yeah, I'm not sure about this. I'm an atheist, and then I started seeking. A guy comes from my school, I was just with him last week in Glendale, who uh, uh, was probably the most temperamental guy in school. Uh, both he and I had a 1.8 GPA in high school. Both of us were math wizards, but both of us had a 1.8 GPA. So GPA, so math came to us like nothing, mm -hmm. but we could care less about school. So we go to college first semester, and uh, first semester, him and I don't go to our classes, all but playing his cards. Mm -hmm. Anyways, he drops out. This is a guy that smoked weed every day, you know, drugs. I don't, you don't want to tell me, you don't want me to tell you what the drugs he used. Peace, I mean, you, you name it, he did everything, okay? I go to the army, I drop out. 
He goes and tries to figure out life through many different avenues. I come out, he comes out, we're still partying. One day, I run into him at the restaurant. He's doing a $20 million a year business right now, restaurant. Um, one of the biggest restaurants in LA. So he says, hey, I found God. I start laughing. He said, no, really, I found God. I said, bro, <laughs> stop. He said, I'm telling you, I found God. I said, dude, listen, there's certain people that will be allowed in heaven. You and I don't have a spot. In the life we've lived, there is no. He says, I'm telling you, I found God. I said, dude, whatever. He says, can you give me a Friday night? I said, what club are we going to? He says, club pastor such and such. Wow. I said, dude, I'm not coming. So I'm thinking he's still pulling my leg. Yeah. He says, I'm serious. So we go. Anyways, we go. On a Friday night. On a Friday night. Every other Friday for the next 18 months, I'm with this guy 6 o'clock to 2 o'clock in the morning. Wow. That's me from 20, 24, 25. What this did to me, I'm still not a believer at this time. I, got, I became a believer at the tail end of it by myself. And what is this, a Bible study? A it's church? a Bible study. It's just no, it's Bible at a house. In, in Paznaz, in Pasadena, Mono, we're okay. sitting there. We're going through with me, him, and a couple of our guys, and yeah. none of us are qualified. We're all living a rough life. And then that got me to look at things in a different way. So then faith came into my life January 21st of 04 is when I gave my life. And uh, from there, you know, yesterday, my dog shows up after being missing for 10 days. And a criminal calls me saying, I got your dog. But if I meet up with you, I'm coming with guns and you can't call the cops because I'm going to do something. It's 11 o'clock. I'm getting this weird call. I'm going in a place with another guy. He's thinking I'm a cop. Guns are pulled out. I get my dog and I leave. I'm like, what a freaking weird situation. It's like less than 12 hours ago, right? But then, you know, God's always been on my side and he's been way too good to me. In life, I have a choice to believe it or not to believe in it. I'm taking the risk of believing that he's there. It's a big risk, but I'm taking that risk. But the part that you have to realize that I'm slightly different than others is I understand the choice to make to go a different route and choose to be a Tate. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I also think he's got a spiritual side to him as well. I think it's well, a very different guy. He claims to be Orthodox Christian. I, I think he does have that. Versus me going this way. Both, there's a risk, right? I chose this risk. And, uh, you know, I love kids. I, I would have 20 kids if I had it my way. And I think faith's going to play a very important role in raising them properly. And, and the other part on why when you say, Pat, you don't talk a lot about it. Here's why. If you ask me people I've done business with that I trust the least is when they talk about God and Jesus to her. It's a red flag for me that I don't do business with. I know this sounds kind of weird to you. No, it's good though. So when they're kind of like, well, let me tell you what Jesus this and Jesus yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm good, man. It's yeah. a red flag for me. Versus if we do stuff together and then later, like I didn't know that about you. Then later on I found out, really? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Never imposed, never did this. Never did. Okay, cool. I'm good with this. Yeah. Versus, no, here's what we, we have the pressure. No, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that. We had a, a, I was part of this church called, when I was going to, to study, because I was studying that in uh, Scientology and Mormonism. I was studying all three at the same time. And trying to find out why so many people around my, my community were Scientologists. I had 100 people in my sales office that were all Scientologists. Hmm. I was surrounded by all the leaders that were LDS. And then it was, you know, Christianity that I'm looking at, but one of the parts, I was going to this church called Los Angeles Church of Christ, and this one guy sat down and he said, uh, do you have a girlfriend? I said, I do. Can I meet her? Sure. So I brought her over. I said, this is my girlfriend. She's beautiful. I know. How often do you guys have sex? I said, excuse me? How often do you have sex? No joke. Yes. This is a Christian like bishop or whatever. He said, how often do you guys have sex? I said, I had sex with her before I met with you, and as soon as we finish here, we're going to have sex again. Whoa. And he says, you're going to hell. You Whoa. can't do that. 
whoa. I said, what do you mean I'm going to hell? He says, if you want to really you know, do this, you yeah. can't have any sex with your girlfriend. I yeah. said, listen, man, right off the bat, you're coming to me like yeah. that. I feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Anyway, a year and a half later, the senior pastor of that church came out saying we're a cult and it shut down. Whoa. Yeah, it's a whole, you can do the research. Yeah. Los Angeles Church of Christ cult, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. So I've had a hard experience with church. Yeah. And still, rather than using that to say, I don't want to trust and I'm going to go be an atheist, I have my own kind of relationship, but it works very well for me and my family. What made you choose, you said Scientology, Mormonism, and Christianity? What made you land at Christianity? So, uh, uh, so for me, Mormonism, I have a lot of respect for because I don't think any denomination is more organized and intentional and systematic than Mormonism. Mm-hmm. I don't think any one of them thinks clearly and more unified and they duplicate better than they do. Mm-hmm. Their message is simple. Now you can debate and say, well, Book of Moroni this and God makers one and God makers two. And you know, did you know that Joseph Smith, Vermont, he said this and he got these things and he walked down and they were leaving and they went to Chicago and they got kicked out of there. And finally they found a place, you know, Utah where they can settle down. Fine, no problem. My experience with Mormons has been nothing but fantastic, but it wasn't for me, okay, because of my own research that I did. Scientology to me was a personal development company where the founder was able to turn it into a religion. It's like Scientology is as if Tony Robbins got the tax code to become a religion. I respect a lot of the teaching that they got, and it's very, very effective. But to me, it's not. I'm not going to relationship that's not Scientology Mm -hmm. to me. Christianity to me just made sense, you know, as a... Uh, uh, you know, a uh, uh, what do you call it? Non-denominational, where I'm dealing with old and new, and you know that that made the most sense to me. Yeah. Did did um did you spend? I came through the faith, so I grew up Armenian Orthodox, going to uh, Armenian uh, Apostolic Church, and had a, some pretty rough experiences uh, in that environment. My mother and my father split, and. Um, Ended up not like believing at all as a young kid. You know, this is when uh, this is this is in the mid '90s. I was I was telling people I am an atheist. I don't believe this stuff. Arrested at 11, um, you know, sexually promiscuous, like really rough childhood. And so the way I came to the faith was through the back door of apologetics. People kept sharing the gospel with me, and it, God would just put just bizarre situations of folks that were like, "Jesus loves you. You're going to do great things for the Lord someday." And I'm like. God doesn't love me. If, if he even exists, he did, I know he doesn't love me. But what, and so I, I kept hearing it, but what did it for me was I went and researched the bodily resurrection of Jesus. I went and dug into the history. I dug into the claims. I dug into the church history side of things. And I read a book called um, The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Dr. Josh McDowell. Funny enough, I'm friends with his son now, Dr. Uh, Sean McDowell. So wow. brilliant guy. And then there was another book called um, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Mm-hmm. Lee I got, Strobel, I got yeah. Adam. The, the book. Is he reading it? I don't think yeah. so. But I got it for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I came in similar as a skeptic. You know, I was dating a Jehovah's Witness girl, had Mormon friends, had Muslim friends. This was right after 9-11. And after looking at what I would say are the historical claims that how Jesus split history into two, how the church continued on despite massive persecution, despite schisms, that's kind of where I landed from a uh, a historical aspect, but then there was a transformational aspect. There was something that I was blind, now I see. The scales fell from my eyes. Something regenerated and gave me a new heart. 